Well, Romans 8, and uh, we'll get uh, started here this morning and uh, kind of continue to look here uh, at, at this issue here. Start reading, if you will, in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, we've been in verse 17 last time, last actually several studies, and uh, that issue of being the joint heir with Christ, and then that issue of suffering with him. We are, it's with him, it's not by him, it's not for him here, but rather it is with him. And that issue of, of sharing in common with the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the aspects, everything, the joint heirship down in verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, that future glory. And we're going to share in common with all of that. And that the issue here of, of being there and doing and uh, paying attention to things that are happening with Christ and sharing with Him. Now, in verse 18, that's where we're going to pick up here. For I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And now what Paul is going to do is he takes us, heirs and joint heirs, takes us into the future glory, into the glorification, and then he rips us right back to the present reality. And um, that's what he's going to do. And the issue now is the suffering of this present time. And today, in time, we have a fellowship, not of glory, that's coming, but of suffering, this issue of suffering. And that doesn't change the future, by the way. That's, that's the wonderful thing. We are going to enjoy glory. But rather, as we begin to develop this, and as we go down through the rest of this chapter, we begin to learn that the present suffering actually works for us. It has a benefit for us out there in the future glory. And that's why Paul will say here, the end of verse 17, that we suffer with him. Okay? And again, it's the, that issue of last time we looked at 1 Corinthians 12. And, and, and the verses there about the uh, many members, one body, and when one body suffer, or when one member suffers, we all suffer with them. And then if they are honored, we rejoice with them. That's the issue here. And it's very important in, in Romans 8 to see that it's a, if so be that we suffer with him. And this present suffering is with him. It's not for him, and it's not because of him, but it's with him. Come over to Philippians chapter 1, a verse that we've read uh, in, in this, but I want you to, you have to notice the, 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 the prepositions here, okay? Because they're teaching us something. 
in Romans 8, Paul is introducing us to a lot of different doctrines that he's going to develop later in detail. Philippians 1 verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer. And, and we've, we were talking last time about this and that issue of suffering. And, and yes, we get to participate in the future glory. But right now, we have a responsibility to also participate in the suffering. But notice how the end of that verse ends. Suffer for his sake. So the suffer is for his sake. It's not with him, but it's for him. So in Romans, you have with him, and in Philippians, you have for him. The, the, those are two different issues that Paul's dealing with. When you're going to suffer for him, this is a voluntary, come over to 2 Timothy 1, this is a voluntary suffering that we can choose to participate in. Look at 2 Timothy 1. In Romans 8, this present suffering, you're not willingly choosing to participate in that. You're going to suffer because he left you on here on planet Earth. And that's what Paul's going to develop in 8, is that, hey, there's a suffering here because you live, you're connected to creation. And we'll see that as we go. In Philippians 1, he says, hey, you're going to suffer if you choose to do what he, do, uh, if you choose to live godly. If you choose to practice the sound doctrine and live the sound doctrine, you're going to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul looks to Timothy and he says, you have a wonderful privilege to participate in the afflictions of the gospel. Well, what does that mean then you're doing? You're giving the gospel, you're living the doctrine. If you come over to chapter 4, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yea, all that, notice, will. It's a willing choice that you made to live how? Godly. See? So when he says, you're going to suffer for his sake, participate in the afflictions connected with doing the work of the ministry and living godly, that's going to be different than what we're learning in Romans 8. Come back to Romans 8. In Romans 8, Paul's not talking about for him, he's talking about with him. And what's, what we're going to see here, that we're with, comparison, a likeness. And that's the issue. We share equally in the issue of suffering in the present time. Just as he did, that's why we looked last time in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 2 there, about how did the Lord, what did the, the Lord feared death. He feared that. He had, he's a man of sorrow. He was heavy, cry and tears. He was concerned about it. Guess what? Paul's saying, you don't need to fear death. He's already died for you. He already took care of you. He took care of everything. 
So back here in Romans 8, what Paul is going to develop now is this issue of we're going to share in the suffering because he left here, you here in creation because he's got some things for you to do in time right now as well as out in the future. And we'll see that as we go down. We're not in glory yet, verse 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. It, creation is waiting for the manifestation, not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. See, there's a revelation coming. There's a revealing coming. There's a manifestation coming. It isn't here yet. It's hid. Not hid and that you don't know it, but it's hid. It's not on display yet. Right now, you're going to be in the issue of suffering. There's to be a future revelation, a future manifestation of the glory of the sons of God. And our participation in it will be on full display, but it's also right now our thinking about the issues. We all want to do what? Get a new body and go to heaven. You're listening to you groan this morning. All right? I groaned this morning too. It's like, oh, okay. You know? I, I was like, man, why does this heel keep, it's just hurting. Bam, you know? Well, I know why, but the thing is, is what it, it hurt, you know? Take a little aging pill. Get over it. Calm down, you know? Whatever. What are we trying to do? Get on to that new I mean, as believers. See? And Paul's like, wait a minute. Let's have a proper perspective. So look at verse 18. For I reckon, I love that, reckon. We're going to have to think this through. We're, reckoning is an accounting term. We're going to have to figure this into our thinking. That the suffering of the present time are not worthy. I, I, I love that word worthy, worth. A great illustration I heard one time was that of a scale. You know, the scales of justice. You got the two balances. One side is going to be suffering, and the other side is glory. How do they know if a gold coin is really gold? On a scale, I'm talking about, not the chemical cheat way. What do they do? They, they weigh it out, don't they? They know what a gold coin's supposed to weigh, so they put the ounce thing there, and then they drop the gold coin on there, and if there's any movement, that tells them yes or no, right? You with me? Okay. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. Worthy, worthy. One side we're going to have suffering, and one side we're going to have glory. And you know what's going to happen? All right, you ready? Glory is going to outweigh suffering all the time. So when you take suffering and you begin to think about it in the worth department and, how, and this issue of a scale our attitude, our perspective about suffering is just that. Regardless of the amount of suffering, the intensity of it, the degree of it, the piling on of it. <laughs> My truck's back in the shop again. Got it out, it broke again, now it's back. Well, that's just a piling on. I'm like, all right, enough already. You know, enough, uncle. You know, fortunately it didn't cost me anything, but just inconvenience. But the thing is, is, what, it's just getting piled on. No matter how much you pile it on, guess what glory is? 
Glory is that dead weight. It's the dead weight of glory. You can pile it and you think, oh my goodness, I just can't, and that weight just sits there. That's, it's not worthy to be what? Compared. There's no balance. There's always more glory than there is the suffering. And what we're doing here in Romans 8, and what Paul's going to do here, again, is he's introducing us to the fact that there is worth in suffering. And the issue then becomes, okay, how do we handle it? What's our perspective to be? Where I, notice verse 18, for I reckon. How am I figuring this in? How am I thinking about this? How am I working this through in my, you know, somebody said they tripped and fell in the swimming pool. Okay? Oh, that was, okay. I just heard it. I'm sitting there going, how do you do that? But then I've done it, so I know how you do it, okay? <laughs> you know, you don't pay attention or you slip off the, the, the steps or whatever. But see, the thing is, is, you know, in that moment, you're not thinking about, oh, it's worthy more, it's more than glory, you know? <laughs> you're thinking about what? Ouch, it hurt. So how do, I, how do I reckon this? How do I think this through? Well, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses we're familiar with, but... In light of what we're learning in Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 4 is going to give more detail to the foundation in Romans 8. Okay, Yesterday at the Men's Fellowship, we were talking about some things in Ephesians, and we were looking at some stuff about the future and the reconciliation plan of God and so forth for the heavenly places. And the thing is, is when you get in Ephesians, next hour we're going to look more in Ephesians, Ephesians... Paul is assuming, and rightfully so, that you have Romans in your foundation. Not just Romans 1 to 8, but all of Romans. When he looks at us and says, you're accepted in the beloved, he goes right on to the next issue of redemption and forgiveness. He doesn't explain the, the accepted in the beloved. He doesn't explain redemption. He doesn't explain forgiveness in Ephesians. Where did he do all that? In Romans. See, he makes it, and you got So in Romans, here's the thing. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's that future glory. We're just not there yet. We have that future inheritance. We're just not there yet. Now, again, for I've said this, Romans 4, he says, and this is going to be my paraphrase of the verse, what isn't reality in our minds in the moment is reality in God's mind in the moment. So as we sit here, and what do we long for? Glory and the new body. In God's mind, where are we? Already seated together in heavenly places. Okay? The reality, isn't there a song? Something. Anyway, reality over here is, all right, how do I adjust my perspective to have the proper look as we begin to study and look at the issue of suffering? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Think about this verse in light of Romans 8. For our light affliction. Now let me ask you something. Is the affliction in the moment light? No, it's not. It's heavy, isn't it? It's, it can be daunting. It, it can be, it, it, you're just piling it on. <laughs> it's intense. But what, it's up here and the glory is over here. Remember the scale. Bam. That's why he says it's light. 
which is but for a what? Moment. Now, by the way, when he talks here about suffering, he's not uh, excuse. Uh, he, he's not, I can't think of a word. He's not making light of the afflictions, okay? Because they are overwhelming sometimes. They can just be down. I mean, you think about the death of a loved one. That is overwhelming sometimes to people. See, he's not talking, he's not making light of the suffering. He's talking about perspective on the suffering. Follow that. It's but for a moment. Well, wait a minute. What is it? You know, my truck's been broke down for two weeks. You know what it feels like? A month. You know, we're running around in one car, doing, trying to get things done and do, you know, but it feels like forever. It's only been not even really two weeks, been about a week and a half, you know, really a week, maybe four days. See, see what I mean? But you see, what's perspective? Perspect- well, it went in last Tuesday, okay? So perspective is what? It's been a month. And really it's only been Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, five days. Friday I got it, broke down yesterday, going in Monday. Tuesday, you know, not, see it had, but perspective is, whoa, wait a minute, we've been at this for too long now. And that's the issue. It's a light affliction. It's for the moment. But what's that next word? Worketh. There's a design in it. It's advantageous for you and I. So suffering isn't an enemy, it's a what? <laughs> It's, it's going to work for us. Now, what a crazy idea is that? Say, what tomfoolery, who, whoever said that? Here you go. You look at that song, bring it on, just pile it on. Why? Because I know glory is that dead weight and it'll never compare. And just a, you know, a sadist there. <laughs> it's just, hit me again. It's okay. You know, but what do I know? Hey, that weight. You know, the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that prayer of petition of, is there any way for this cup to pass? Why? He feared death. He had never experienced it. You know, and all, he's going through the motions and the pains of being a man, of humanity. And then he says, nope, not my will, but thy will be done. What trigger? He does that quickly. He does that before the Father can even respond to him. What is that? Hey, the glory isn't compared to the suffering. Because I know what the Word of God says, and the Word of my Father says that over here, when I re- I'm going to be, re- He's going to raise me up. My soul won't see corruption. I will be, I'll be resurrected. Paul says, hey, that should be your mentality about this as well. Get through it. He tells Timothy to go take a little wine for his stomach's sake, you know, the medicine. I, I love that passage. Oh, you shouldn't. No, Paul said, go see the doctor, dude. In Philippians, when Epaphroditus is nigh unto death, and he puts him on a boat to send him back more carefully back to the Philippians, you know, he saw the ship doctor. Hey, take care of this guy. Here's an extra 20. Take care of him, type of thing. Why? Perspective. We're not looking for God to do what? Intervene and heal. We're looking, we have this understanding of, hey, it's going to work for us, verse 17, a far more exceeding and eternal 
Notice, weight of glory. Think about that. The scale. Here's glory pegged. You're piling on. The, and you know what he says? It's just working more what? More glory. More weight of glory. Gee, you're never going to get that thing off the, the, the table. Yeah. You guys follow that? I hope you do because that's the, that's the mindset here. A more exceeding. It, it surpasses everything. And our afflictions, our suffering can never move the weight of glory. It's absolutely impossible for your level of suffering in your life to outweigh glory, what's coming to us in glory. And what, he do, what he's doing here, and again, you're, we're in Corinthians, but also there in Romans 8, is we're learning that, you know what God did? He left us here to suffer. He does, and he leaves us here in creation because we have an ambassadorship and we've got things to do here on, in time and in the earth. You know, the, the word Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. We got things to learn. We got things to do. We got an ambassadorship to work. We got a vocation, a job to do, a reasonable service to carry out. And he says, but man, over there, whew, what you're learning and doing now impacts that over there. So let's be, that's what godliness is profitable now and has the promise of the life that is to come. Profitable now. Why? It's working. What, by the way, when the suffering kicks in, what are we doing? See, we're thinking about it from the divine perspective, so what are we accessing? We're accessing the sound doctrine in our inner man. We're accessing the sound doctrine concerning glory the future. We're accessing the sound doctrine of Romans 5. Look, look over at Romans 5. Hold on to Corinthians. We gotta, we'll go back there. But we've already learned this in Romans 5. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. In Romans 5, what did we learn about tribulation? Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. What's that next word? Knowing. What do we know? What are we to be operating on? We know that tribulation, what? Worketh. Patience and patience, experience and experience. Hope, and hope maketh not a shame. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By who? By the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 over there, go back to 2 Corinthians 4. Romans 8 over there, we have the Spirit, big S, of adoption. We have this first fruits of the Spirit. We're there. We've got Him. We understand. We have the guarantee. we got the promise of the future events. But man, just right now, you know what? God leaves us here. Now, what's wonderful about that is God doesn't keep us from suffering. He keeps us in our suffering. You've noticed the difference. He doesn't stop the suffering and put a hedge about you. He says, you're going to suffer, and I'm going to keep you in it. And that's that issue, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, I know I told you 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 
What does he say over here? See, when, you have, when you're thinking about suffering and what Paul's getting at and driving us to, and, and, and we're going to learn, actually, and, you know, in Romans 8, we're going to learn that he helps with our infirmities. And he causes us to be more than conquerors. So when, we, when the suffering hits and the persecution comes and the trials come, remember the scale. They don't outweigh. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. That is a great statement. That is a, that is a liberating statement. That means when my truck broke down three weeks ago, I mean five days ago, that guess what? I'm nothing, I am nothing special. God's not trying to teach me something that I, that, you know, I'm just another guy that drives a Chevy, an old Chevy that broke down just like the other 150 of them that I saw the other day, <laughs> you know. It, it's really, it's what it is. It's, hey, you know, you know, you buy these new trucks, the motors are great, but you know what still breaks on them? The water pump, the fuel pump, the uh, power steering pump, the fuel injectors. The motor's good, but all that other stuff breaks, everything you need to make, right, you know. It's like, wow, why? it's what? Common demand. But God, there you go, is what? Faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Why? Because it's common to who? Everybody. But, now, and here's where we're at. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. And it'd be great if the verse ended there, but it doesn't. It says that ye may be able to bear it. That's what we're getting at, 2 Corinthians 4. Why? Because it's coming, and God is faithful. He's made it so that you and I can then work down through it because we have the proper perspective. We understand that it's just for the moment. We understand we're going to have to go through it. But what do we also understand? It's going to work for us. It's going to keep the scales tilted towards glory. Can't do this. It goes this way. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. The first three words are the problem. While we look. That's the problem. We have a bad habit of looking at our problems and fixating on our problems and dwelling on our problems. You know the old saying, if talking about your problems fixed your problems, nobody would have problems. Okay? While we look not at the things which are... Isn't that interesting scene? And he's going to... Down in chapter 5 there, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's part of it. But think about what he just said in Romans 8. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be what? Revealed. Verse 19, 8, 19, manifestation of the sons of God. There's something that's not seen right now. There's something to be revealed. And as we walk by faith, because guess what? We can't see it right now. We develop the thinking process, the walk of faith here. And we say, you know what? We're not going to look at the things which are seen. We're going to look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? 
temporal. You know what? In a week or two or three or eight or ten or whenever, or a new truck happens, the old Chevy's going to go away. <laughs> okay? I'm not worried about that. That's temporal. I told Linda a few years ago, I said, I'm going to buy a new motorcycle, a new Harley. I'm going to dress it the way I want it dressed, and it will be the end of all my Harley buying. And you know what she said? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right? It's the, it's the Harley to end all Harleys. It was like 50K, you know, I was, it was loaded. It had everything, all the bells and whistles. So then the other day with the truck, and you know what I told her? I'm going to go buy a new truck, and it's going to be the truck to end all trucks. And she goes, yeah, right. <laughs> Why? It's temporal. It's just, right? What are we focusing in on? That issue of faith and that walk by faith. And that's, go back to Romans 8. That's what Paul's trying to develop in us. He's wanting us to develop the proper response the right thinking to the present suffering. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory. It's not the scale. It's offset. So we're to reckon this. We're to think this through. We're to figure it out. We're to come along and we're to work it down into our thinking and how we and how we would do it, look at verse 20. I'm back in Romans 8. I'm sorry. Romans 8, verse 20. For the creature was made subject to what? Vanity. Vanity. Emptiness. Nothing there. The creature was made subject to vanity. Do you want to live in vanity? Emptiness? Chaos? Destruction? No. Where do you want to live? Verse 20. Not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same, where? Hey, don't live in vanity. Live in where? Hope. See that? Vanity. That, that, you come over here and you say, God's trying to teach me a lesson because my truck's been in the shop for two weeks now. It's only been five days, but two weeks. No, that's vanity. You know what that is? That's thinking you're something special. And he's already described to you, you're not. You are someone special where? In Christ. In that identity. And what does that identity say? This old identity, this old guy. We were talking yesterday. I, someone said about talking to people and real, making them realize they're in Adam. What's happened to Adam? He's been crucified. He's been killed. I'm this new guy. I'm not that. Vanity says I'm still this guy. Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. Why? They didn't like to retain God in their mind, in their thinking, in their understanding, so he gave them over to a reprobate mind. What he, he threw them to vanity. You know, Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity. Man in his best state is all but vain. It's like, whoa, don't live there. Live where? Live in hope. Look at verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Do we want to dwell in bondage? we want to live in bondage of corruption? No, let's live in, the rest of that verse, the liberty. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So you have this vanity versus hope. You've got this bondage versus liberty. Yeah, you know, our mindset should be, don't worry about the bad, it's going to happen. But let's look for the good. Let's live towards the future. Let's dwell in glory. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation 
groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. We know what's going on. We understand that. The sin-cursed creation. And that's what Paul's focusing in on here, is you have a connection to creation. Verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth with our infirmities. <coughs> a lot of misunderstanding about these verses, 26 <laughs> 28. We'll get there in a, in a few months. <laughs> He's going to help. Why? Well, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, verse 23 there. Why focus in on death and mortality and hurt when God says you ought to be focusing in on life and resurrection and redemption and lore and, and, lore and liberty? That's where you ought to be focusing. Yeah, but Rick, right now, man, it just hurts. Yeah, it You know what Paul did? Look over at 1 Corinthians, or uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I, this is... It's so instructive. It's the whole of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul talks, starts and he says, the God of comfort and the Father of, of uh, all mercies, the God of comfort. And when you see what, how I, I'm your pattern in suffering, when you see this stuff happening to me, it's for your consolation, it's for your salvation, it's for your instruction. You see how we worked this out and it came to an end, a conclusion? It was for you. And you know what? At the end of the book, of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses a flesh and blood illustration. By the way, he does this at the end of every epistle, is he'll take a blood, flesh and blood illustration and demonstrate the doctrine he just taught you in, in, in the person of, most, most of the time, himself. And you know what he says? You know the passage. He says, verse 7, I have a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Think about that. He's not talking about having a stubbed toenail. Stubbed toe. He's not talking about having a hangnail or having a, you know, in his case, the camel up at the shop getting fixed. He's not talking about that. He's talking about real serious trouble. So much so that verse 8 for... This thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Think about that. He's on bended knee, bowed head, asking for help. By the way, Philippians 4 says that's legitimate. Just as long as you understand what the answer is going to be. What was the answer? And he said unto me, five words. That's the answer. You bow your head. You're thinking about an issue. You're looking at things. You know what you have to, you know what the answer is? And he said unto me. Five words. Now what did he say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Now that might not fit whatever you're praying about and thinking about, and going through. And he said unto me. What's the word of God say? There's my answer. 
Well, you know what? It doesn't, doesn't deal with it in very specific issues over here. Are you sure about that? Well, I'm looking for a verse that says, don't buy a Chevy, buy a Dodge. Are you sure about that? Because there is a verse that helps you with that. He says we all need to be of one accord. <laughs> so buy a Honda. No. <laughs> he didn't. no, he says, hey, there's, there are two verses that say, is it expedient? Does it put you in bondage? Does it edify others? Boy, apply that to financial decisions. Expediency, best interest, bondage. How long am I going to owe on the note? Because when you're in bondage like that and you're paying things off, you know what happens? You can't be giving and helping out over here where you should be. See. Does it edify others? I don't know. If you let me borrow it when I need to borrow it, I guess it does. But the thing is, is you do have the answer. Now, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what the Lord's saying to Paul? Paul, when you're weak, which that thorn in the flesh was making him weak, now who are you going to be looking for? Who are you looking to? You're looking to my grace. You're looking to the riches of my grace. That's when I become strong. So what's Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in... Now, what a nutcase. I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. Man, who, what nut... But notice the next phrase. For who? For Christ's sake. You know what he decided? He decided Philippians 1, 2 Timothy 1. I will willingly are going to go participate in the work of the ministry. So guess what I know is coming? Glory or suffering? Both. <laughs> so I'm going to have the proper mindset. Now come back to Romans 8. By the way, that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, the first three or four verses there, he's caught up into the third heaven and receives information that that's, um, it happens in Acts, uh, uh, I just had it there, uh, Acts 16, when he's stoned, Acts 14, I think it is, when he's stoned, yeah, Acts 14, when he's stoned and left for dead, he gets the revelation, he gets a revelation up there, Peter says, you know, it's, he, it's, he says the, the words that a man can't utter, Paul says, and, he's, and it's not a, that he would never tell it. It's just not time to. Paul saw the big picture. And when he saw the big picture, Acts 14, he gets up out of there and he goes right back into Lystra and Derby, right, who, the guys that just kicked him out and stoned him. What a, what a maniac. Why would he do that? Well, because he saw the end. He got the, big, the rest of he got the Ephesians revelation, the doctrine there, and he, on back in he went. He got to see Thessalonians 4, the, the rapture event. He, and boom. Why? Because what does he know? The suffering isn't compared to the glory. Follow me Follow that? He saw that. You and I see that. We see it on the pages of the word here. Will, will you suffer? Yes. But does it have to defeat you? And the answer is no. Romans 8, verse 37, Paul saying, Nay, in all these things. Notice he doesn't say in all things. He says these things. Very specific here. The issue of suffering. 
and verse 35 and 36 there, the, the list, all of that's physical issues going on. The, the peril or the sword, the sword, that's a reference to the government coming and getting him. And he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A more than conqueror. Not a conqueror, but a more than. You know what it is to conquer. You go in, you win the battle, spoils belong to you. But a more than conqueror is win the battle, but don't destroy. Turn and use. Turn and let what we just defeated work for us. In Rome, when the Roman Empire was going, in the early days of the Roman Empire, they would go in and wipe them out, wipe the people out, and keep the, the strong, get rid of the weak, kill them, keep the strong, send them back home, base, make them slaves and servants and so forth. Okay? Caesar decide, one of the Caesars decided, you know what's a better way? Let's not destroy them, let's tax them, and let's make them a part of us. So because we're, as the Roman Empire spread, they were getting thinner and thinner in their, in their forces. So they would come in and they would take Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He's a free man. Tarsus is a city that took, looked to Rome and said, we will pay you taxes. We, we want to be Rome. And they said, okay, you're Rome. They didn't destroy them. That's a more than conquer. Think about it here with suffering. What do we know suffering's going to do? The light affliction for the moment, but what does it do? It works for us. Why? Because we took that and we turned it for our benefit. We became a more than conqueror. Did we conquer the suffering? Yeah, we did what we needed to do. We got through it, proper thinking, and we works for us a more far exceeding weight of glory. We kept the dead weight down. It works for us. So when we back up to verse 18, we are going to suffer. The present time. I, somebody asked me one time, so what's the status in the dispensation of grace? I said suffering. I had a, a buddy of mine and I were talking years ago, and we were talking about the offering box and why it's so hard to get people to give, grace believers to give. And, and the comment was made that because the dispensation of grace is not conducive to giving. What did the law say? Give, tithe, or else. What does grace say? Purpose in your heart, God loves a cheerful giver. He leaves it, you're accountable to you. So what happens? Well, here's the bills, and oh, we got a little bit left over here to give the, to the local ministry. Rather than local ministry gets this, we'll figure out these bills. See, it's a why? Because grace says, grace actually holds you more accountable than the law ever does. Because God says, I've done everything for you. Now your response to me is going to be one out of love and gratitude rather than do it or else. You're going to suffer. You suffer here because of the connection with creation. Galatians, look, look over with me at Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Here's another way that you suffer in, in time, in the present time. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. 
And the third way you suffer is there in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, where you willingly decide and choose to live godly, live according to the sound doctrine. But Romans 8 and Galatians 6 are things right now because of where you're at in the sin-cursed creation. Romans 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the, his flesh shall reap, shall of the flesh reap, what? Corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The law of the harvest. You make dumb decisions in life, what's going to happen? You're going to reap it. You make good decisions, you're going to reap. You're going to reap what you sow. By the way, you re always reap more than you sow. And you also reap later than you sow. Think about the cornfield. Farmer goes in, puts in a kernel of corn. How many stalk grows? Two ears are produced. How many kernels of corn are on those ears? Thousands. What did he get? He got one corn seed in. He got a stalk with two ears and with thousands of kernels. Reap, he sowed, and then look at the, re the, the harvest. You make dumb decisions, you make bad decisions, go back to Romans 8, you make foolish decisions, you better learn from them because you're, you're reaping. So you're going to suffer, one, Romans 8, sin, curse, creation, two, Galatians 6, bad decision making or good decision making, you reap the positive side. And then thirdly there, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, where you, yea, all those who will, who will live godly shall suffer. You choose to live the sound doctrine, to live the grace life, you will suffer. And, it's, and he, when he's talking about suffering here, he's not talking about being at the, at the end of a bow and arrow or a gun, somebody trying to kill you. He's just talking about, well, look there at verse 22. For we know that the whole tr creation, what? Groans. Again, did you groan this morning when you got up? Some of us did. That wasn't somebody holding a gun to your head saying, do you believe in Christ or not? That's get, just getting up. That's, and that's the connection here that Paul is now going to make. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the, what? The creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole, what? Creation. See how he says, creature, 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 and then he says creation? And the reason he does that is because, one... You and I have a connection to creation that results in suffering. Who's the old man? Adam. And Adam is of the earth, earthy. Who's your daddy? Ultimately, it's Adam. Your connection to the creation. What did God do to the creation in Genesis 3? He cursed it. He tells Adam, you go out there, look, look back there at Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3. I, you think about the physical creation that God made. Genesis 3. 
when God created the animal life, the plant life, the earth, the creation, then he creates man, puts man in it, says go, subdue it, have dominion over it, replenish, fill it up, take care of it. Man falls, verse 17, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Why was the ground cursed? For Adam's sake. Adam, you have this garden, I want you to go dress it, keep it, enjoy it, be a part of it. Adam falls, and you know what the Lord does? Verse 18, thorns also and thistles, notice, shall it bring. They weren't there before the fall. They're there after the fall. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Paul said, back in Romans 8, he says, you have to remember you have a connection to creation that's going to be a component and a why and a reason, a result in your suffering. Back to Romans 8, the other issue, the other connection to creation is really our connection through to, to Christ. In verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. There is a future manifestation of the sons of God. And this is our connection to Christ as he manifests us out there in that future day. We call it the rapture and the presentation, the judgment seat and all of that, the events where then we are placed into those positions of governmental authority to rule over the heavenly places. Israel is placed into her kingdom, into her positions, as she's going to rule over the earth, Christ as the ultimate head of all of it. So here, when he brings up creature and creation, he's talking about our connection to creation in one, the sin curse part, because we're Adam, we're human, but then also the fact that we're in Christ, we're joint heirs with Christ, and there's a future glory revelation that's going to happen where we're going to control and rule over creation. If you look there at verse, 20, or verse 19, the manifestation of, see that? Not the manifestation as the sons of God, but it's of. Look at verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glory, glorious liberty, what? Of the children, not as the children. He's not talking about creation getting fixed. He's talking about us being in our position and ultimately Israel in her. And what's creation going to do? That's what we've been waiting for. And God will reverse the curse the new heaven and the new earth. And you and I, now Paul doesn't give those details here. Those details come in from Ephesians and the doctrines in Ephesians. Right here, he's laying in the foundation of, hey, 
when you're in time, you're going to suffer. Here's why. And by the way, don't let your eye drift too far from glory. Because the suffering is never going to outweigh the glory. Verse 20, verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth, just as you and I are in verse 23, waiting for the adoption. Creation is waiting for the plan, the reconciliation plan and program of God to come with, to come to pass. We were looking yesterday at that plan over in Peter and in several other passages. He talks about before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. God had the plan on the table all along. Look at verse 19, verse 20, I'm sorry, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. God did this to creation, Genesis 3, we just read it a minute ago, but what's the hope of creation? Well, in Genesis 3, it's verse 15, the seed of the woman is going to destroy the seed of Satan. Here's Christ defeating the Antichrist. Here's, here's Christ defeating the adversary. And how does he do that? He sets the heavenly places up with the church, the body of Christ. He sets the earth up with the nation of Israel, the true nation of Israel. Okay, And he goes in and creation sits there and says, you know what, We're, that's what we've been waiting for. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's the, the bondage of corruption is the issue there of vanity. The subject to vanity. We are privileged to witness the decay and the death of creation around us. Because as believers, it's a stark reminder of what? Of who we were in Adam. But it's a stark reminder of who we are in Christ. When you see things in the world, we're going to, we've got some things to do in Ephesians 6. We're going to go back and look at the first part of verse 18. When you begin to look at the things in the world and what's going on in the chaos, there is a spiritual system behind all of that. It isn't just sinful men doing sinful things. There's a course of the world. There's a system that's pushing. And we get the wonderful privilege of watching that when we understand that, I should say. We get the wonderful privilege of being a part of that. Are we going to decay and die? Yes. We're stuck with that. Woohoo! That's why I think in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3 when he says, Yay, although it shouldn't be yay, although it should be yay, woohoo. <laughs> you know what? It's perspective. God doesn't or never says, I'm going to give you immunity, I'm going to give you health and wealth, I'm going to take care of you. Actually, what we'll learn as we go through here is that he says, I'm going to make you more than conquerors in this. Sin-cursed environment. And that's what we're learning here. God has left us to experience the effect of the corruption. 
the, to experience the effect of sin and of death because it's his plan to make us more than conquerors. It's his plan to make us glory outweigh the suffering. And that's what we're learning here. By the way, verse 24, Paul says, for we are saved by what? Hope. Now that's not saved justified. You're already justified. That's saved in the what? In the present time of suffering. That's being rescued. That's what salvation is. Saved, rescued, delivered from, impending turmoil and death. We've been rescued. We've been rescued from the effect of the bondage of corruption. So then we can now be sustained in it. How do we sustain? By hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope forth? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for us. And that's the great, yeah, we don't, we're not very patient, are we? <laughs> come on, Lord, end it today. Come on, you know. I'll give you a little 20, make it quick, you know. You know how we think. And he's like, no, get your head on straight, and guess what will happen? You'll patiently wait for that. The present suffering one day will end, folks, and it ends when we are manifested as the sons of God, which ends when the dispensation of grace ends, which is with the, the events that we call the rapture. Paul calls it our gathering together. That's why that stuff is so important. That's what Paul's going to, again, here in Romans 8, he's just getting it into our thinking, develops it out doctrinally in detail later. But right here, he's like, look, you rec I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy. Why? Because we've got a hope and glory, a future that outweighs the now. So we have to have the proper perspective of the now. And right now, what we're talking about is a specific suffering because of the connection that we have with creation because God left us here. And he left us here because we have an ambassadorship to do. I said this earlier. Think about that. Think about if God had called home the individual that led you to Christ. How would you have been led to Christ? If I sit here and I lead Jim to Christ... I get saved. Tim leads me. We go home. Nobody to talk to, to Jim. No. Tim's got a job. He talks to me about salvation. I get saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. I have a job. He left. That's why he lives us here. He doesn't call us. But what? One day, he's going to do what? Call us home. And when that happens... Then we can, but right now it ain't happening. Right now we live in the present evil world, the present time of suffering, okay? All right, we'll move on next time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the look here and for the study and for the hope that we have of that future glory. And Lord, I just pray that we would think about it and put it into our inner man, into our thinking, and have it impact our daily lives. In your name we pray, amen.